Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Audio Podcast. So I want to speak to you in this podcast about the business end of the manhood movement that I'm trying to encourage and incite and write for and build. I'm very aware that there have been men's movements uh, throughout the years. I'm grateful for them. I'm very aware that there are half a dozen versions of a men's movement going on today from a resurgent promise keepers to a dozen other things. I celebrate all of them. Uh, I I can only tend what God's given to me. And uh, what God's given to me is this uh, wonderful book, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, that Thomas Nelson printed so beautifully and that has caught on around the world, in some, in some cases thanks to Glenn Beck, who really promoted it. Um, and then, of course, others have really taken it to a new level. It's being read, well, quite literally around the world, and I'm grateful for that. From that's come a movement that I've already described to you in an earlier podcast, and I, but I want now to talk about the business end of this movement. Because in our, in our stadium big event world, it'd be very possible for people listening to me to think that where I'm heading is trying to fill stadiums with uh, men who want to be righteous men. And uh, I'm grateful for that. That's happened in the past. It may happen again. I may be part of it. I don't know. But what I'm going for in the great man movement uh, is something different. Uh, once a man is aware that great manhood is possible for him. In fact, it's, it's what he's called to, uh, that, that he has to begin the doing and he has to begin the tending of his field, that he has to begin conforming to the great manhood for which he is made, that he has to begin you know, laying down his life and living in the strength and the power of who he is. And yet that doesn't make him a pansy that he, that he, that he actually becomes a greater man as he, as he walks with other men to execute great manhood. Once all of that begins to awaken in his soul, which is often what happens at these events that we do and happens in the reading of the books, other books that, that I also recommend widely, um, you know, John Eldridge and many other great books that are out there. Uh, many of which I recommend in my book, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men. But once you get to that point, uh, my goal is a little bit different from a lot of the other men's movements uh, and a lot of the other styles. Um, I'm not heading for stadium events. I don't mind speaking to large groups of men. I'm going to speak to thousands and thousands just in this year. I think I've already said in an earlier podcast, I'm heading to Asia and heading to the Middle East and being invited to huge places. And I'm sure I'll be speaking to thousands at a time. But my goal is not to fill the 100,000 you know, man soccer uh, arena with, with righteous men uh, or the 100,000 seat soccer arena with righteous men. That's not what I do. I may be part of something somebody else puts together. You know, I hope the president of a country or the prime minister of a country does this kind of thing. And they call me and ask me to be part of it. I'll be happy to. But that's not where I'm heading. Where I am heading is that we teach men how to build bands of brothers because that's the business end of righteous manhood. Let let me tell you that building a band of brothers is the ultimate art of righteous manhood. Uh, A man cannot be a great man if he walks alone. Uh, A man cannot uh, overcome his own moral deformities if he walks alone. 
Um, we are too blind. We are too proud. We see ourselves uh, in a very uh, jaundiced way. I use the illustration often. When I'm on stage, I kind of joke about myself and I say, I don't know about you guys, but here's how I look at myself in the mirror and I kind of puff out my chest and, you know, pump up my arms like a bodybuilder and, you know, suck in my gut and everything. And they all start laughing because they all know what I'm talking about. You know, ever since we were teenagers, us men get in the mirror and, you know, tighten up that neckline and uh, bring out those pecs, you know. And of course, it's not what we really look like. Then somebody shows us a picture of ourselves at a party somewhere shoving a you know a muffin into our face or a cupcake or something, and we look like Jabba the Hutt. You know, we just can't even believe we looked that way. Well, it's a simple little illustration, but what does it mean? We don't even know what we look like. We genuinely don't even know exactly what we look like. We certainly don't know how we function, and we need others. So the ultimate state, the place where righteous manhood is hammered out, is perfected, creates a culture that permeates and creates a culture into which young men can be initiated um, is the five, six, seven uh, man band that men form around them. And I want to say it without hesitation, every man uh, who wants to be a great man, uh, who wants to be an exceptional man, who wants to be a righteous man, has to be intentional about forming a band of brothers around him. It just has to happen. And clearly, it doesn't happen naturally in our generation. Uh, so you have to be very, very intentional about it. You know, centuries before, families lived together uh, in, in, in tighter units. You'd have many generations together, even in one home. If you had any kind of wealth, there'd be a compound with a number of homes. This is more how the uh, the Jews of the Old Testament uh, that we read about in the Old Testament lived. And it, it explains many of their idioms and many of their metaphors and examples, stories. Um, but but the, the fact is that your band of brothers was often built in. You worked on crews or you had seven, eight brothers or you had, you know, you had seven, eight brothers, but but your father's seven, eight brothers were still around with all of their, uh, all your cousins and, you know, clans would be 500 people, you know, you didn't lack for a band of brothers. And if it was a Christian clan, well, then everybody was worshiping together and confronting each other and reading scripture together and you know, families even had chapels on their property. You understand that 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 thinking. It, it, people lived in villages. They lived in community. Bands of brothers were fairly easy, um, even if they weren't necessarily always devoted to righteous purposes. But a man today tends to live alone. We're overly isolated. We drive our isolated little cars and our, work in our isolated cubicles and live in our isolated houses and sit in our isolated pews if we go to a a religious institution, a church or a synagogue or what have you, you understand what I'm saying. We, we tend to be isolated. And uh, so the statistics show that many men are lonely. And um, I care about that emotional loneliness, but I care even more about the practical side uh, of not only busting up a man's loneliness, but also putting him in a situation in which other men are committed with him to the great project of, of righteous manhood. That's what you've got to have. You must have men around you who are committed to you as you are committed to them to fulfilling the great project of righteous manhood. Now, this does not have to be five guys sitting in a circle of chairs, staring at each other and you know doing a bunch of navel gazing. No, we do life together. We have fun. We go out to eat. We go hiking. We go riding. We take the cycles out to do things. We uh, we, you know, we play hoops, we take in the cool new movie, we 
go to the game, whatever, whatever you're into, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, but you, you do life with men with, um, a commitment to each other to help each other be righteous men. It means you confront what's not right in each other's lives. I use the phrase a free fire zone. You establish a free fire zone in which everybody knows that uh, within that group that uh, they can say whatever they need to say uh, in order to improve, to help someone be better or help someone avoid a, a big failing. Um, you, you keep an eye on their lives. Uh, my band of brother, brothers know they can call Bev and ask how I'm doing as a husband, ask how she's doing, ask if she has any concerns. Also, by the way, I've told Bev, if I'm out of town and something goes wrong, here are the guys to call uh, when you're in trouble, if something comes up. Uh, I have a band of brothers. I have men who know me, who love me. They're not afraid of me. Um, they will correct me. They will laugh at me if they have to. They'll talk smack. Um, they'll help me with raising my son, my daughter. Uh, if, if there's a trouble, they'll help protect my wife. Um, if my wife thinks I've lost my mind on something, she can go right to them and that, believe me, they'll be on me. Um, and at the same time, we're having a lot of fun together. Now that's how it works. And the average man doesn't have anything like that. The average man doesn't have a friend he can call in a crisis. And the average man doesn't know who he would call to get his son out of jail. Uh, if, if the, if he was out of town and he needed somebody to do it, the average man doesn't have a, a good, hasn't had a good friend since high school or college. That's what the surveys show. So the goal here is, first of all, that a man awakens to his own calling, destiny, purpose, and completion in becoming a great man, and he, and he sets himself on that path. But then he quickly realizes that he can't make the journey alone. He's got to have a band of brothers. Well, how do you build a band of brothers? Well, first of all, you got to get somewhere where, where, where you're going to have the high possibility of coming across men who are equally committed to being great men like you. Uh, and you understand that by great now, I don't mean famous and rich and powerful and everybody worshiping you. I'm talking about greatness in the character and, and moral sense and the spiritual sense. Well, you got to get places where men are studying these things, reading these things. Where's the, where's the active men's group in your area? Where are men digesting books like mine? Where are men, um, where, where are 10 men going to a movie to, to break out the principles of manhood and, you know, rowdy fun and, uh, and confrontation. Uh, what are the what are the blogs? What are the websites? Uh, who's local? Who's paying attention to those things? Um, and you might have to introduce men who never even had these thoughts to these concepts in order to build a band of brothers. Uh, I think that the the great uh, first words of any band of brothers is "Let's eat." <laughs> so if you wanna if you wanna build a band of brothers, you might need to be uh, you know cooking up some stuff on the grill and inviting some guys over and tell them what you've been reading, tell them what you've been learning. Um, you know, find out, uh, where, where some other people are, uh, are gathering together like that. Uh, I hate, I hope you don't have to start the whole thing from scratch, but in many communities you might have to, um, a lot of churches have got great men's groups. A lot of businesses have got men's, uh, meetings happening as part of their retreats and part of their, uh, you know, maybe even just part of lunchtime camaraderie. Um, there are other places as well. Um, and there are great organizations that net, you know, network men at the local level that we can talk about going forward. But, but the main thing is you've got to begin to see yourself and make yourself an essential part of a band of about five to seven men who are jointly committed to the great project of righteous manhood, who are rowdy, who are having fun, who are different in personality. I hope they're different in race and age and everything else too, different at socioeconomic levels. 
Um, and yet, yes, you sit together and talk sometimes by the fire, but then sometimes you're talking while you're hiking up the hill or shooting the hoops or on the bi- motorbikes, if that's what you do, or playing in a band or whatever it is. There's every kind of pursuit that makes it fun. But you're rowdy, you love each other, you're lifelong friends if that can work. Sometimes the friends rotate and move, you don't see them again, but they played an important part of you in your life for a season. Awesome that we just have to accept that in our highly mobile age. But I'm hoping that you build uh, some bands of brothers uh, and at least some of them stick with you for life. And I want to tell you that the average man doesn't have this. The average leader doesn't have this. The average pastor doesn't have this. Uh, the average CEO does not have this. Um, and it is essential. It is absolutely essential. And the goal of that band of brothers is to build a culture of righteous manhood, which permeates all, which ennobles all, which gives us something to bring the young boys up into, and which is transferable as rapidly and as passionately as we can possibly achieve. Build your band of brothers. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on CNN, Fox, and the Huffington Post. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and The Miracle of the Kurds. You can learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv and greatman.us and connect with him on Facebook and on Twitter under the name Mansfield Writes. The Stephen Mansfield Podcast is produced by Isaac Darnell, who also wrote, performed, and produced the Rockin' Podcast theme song. Be sure to rate the Stephen Mansfield Podcast in the iTunes Store. This is a Chartwell Literary Group production.